So we are in the, uh, we're nearing the end, but we are in our, still in our series here, uh, Your World Peace, and finding out how it is that Jesus gives peace that's different than the peace that the world gives. Today I uh, want to bring a message I, I call, I'm calling Peace in a Filtered World. Peace in a Filtered World. If you are with me this morning and you don't know this already, I want to invite you to, you can, obviously we're going to have scripture references for you on the screen, but if you'd like, you can go to the YouVersion Bible app, click on more, click on events, and you can actually follow along with our scriptures from this morning right there online and do that together. So let me start by asking you this this morning. What are your strengths? What are you great at? It's like the classic interview question, right? How do you answer that question? We, we, train, uh, we train people to answer questions like this in an interview. What, what, are, your, what, are, your, uh, what are your strengths? We don't, we don't love to answer the question, what are our weaknesses? If you get asked, what, what are your weaknesses in a, do you know this? You guys know this? If you ask, what are your weaknesses in a job interview, what do you say? Oh, sometimes I just tend to work too hard. Or... Sometimes I just get too committed to my work, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, we like to, we, we know that we have to talk about our strengths. We have to make sure that we present ourselves in such a way that we're actually going to get the job that we are interviewing for. And the truth is we can be pretty hard on ourselves. Most people I know, there are a few exceptions, of course, but most people I know really struggle to, to, to really feel valuable. Like they, they struggle to see that they have, they're really good at some things and, and feel confident in those things. And uh, we, so we have worked as a society to develop tools to figure out what our strengths really are, how we're wired, how we're effective, how we best work uh, with others. Like, for example, do you know your Enneagram type? This is like, this is the hot one right now. Uh, do you know what is your Enneagram type? What's your Myers-Briggs type? What's your love language? Uh, what's, what are you on the DISC test or the strengths finder or the leading from your strengths assessment? Do you know all of those things? Like, we have all of these tools in place to figure out what our strengths really are. Our staff is in the middle of uh, using a resource that our district provides for us, which is, uh, and we have a Berkman coach taking us through a team building exercise from our own individual Berkman assessments. And it's really interesting to learn about everybody else on the team and how we all can work together best. And we have a lot of tools. We have a lot of tools how to figure out what our strengths are. And we've learned from personal experience, I'm sure you have, and also just simply surviving as a human race, we've learned that we need to show our best side to the world whenever possible and to hide our worst side whenever possible possible. And honestly, I don't have a problem with that in, in a lot of ways because it's just sort of logical, isn't it? Um, there, there isn't a lot of benefit of me sitting around here telling you all the stuff I'm not good at and then proving it, right? I mean, you might find it funny, but other than that, there isn't a lot of benefit to it. But I suspect that a lot of us are very, very aware of our weaknesses. We know what we can't do. We know what's hard for us. We know what kinds of thoughts we struggle with every day that the world doesn't. That the world doesn't know that really what's going on in our, our, our hearts and our minds most of the time. We've talked about that. But when you think about it, your ability to find a job or to make friends or to find a spouse or to just get along in the world is really closely tied with your ability to highlight your strengths and hide your weaknesses, at least until you establish that relationship or you get that job or whatever it is. That's usually the case, but even then... And so we've written scripts for ourselves that are largely influenced by culture. 
script, like something that kind of plays in your mind, whether you're conscious of it or not, about what we think we should look like, what we should sound like, what we should be like, what not to do, what not to say, what not to be like. And we, we sort of have this written in our minds. As, and the narratives that we have about this are pretty complicated because they include baggage from our past. They include our hopes for the future. They include the realities of where we are living today and the situation we're in right now. And they can be very, very complicated to unpack. And in the midst of all of this complication of, of, you know, find your strengths, but you're so aware of your weaknesses, but also, you know, we have this script going about who we think we actually are and how other people should think that we are and all of that kind of stuff. In the middle of this, we have um, been given these incredible tools like Instagram, a platform to craft the message in your narrative perfectly well, exactly the way you want it to do, in a, well, instant way, Instagram. And you don't have to then prove out your script over time, of over the, your lifetime anymore. You can prove out your script that you have in your mind for what you think your life should look like very, very quickly now. Or at least you can do it in a you know, superficial way. Uh, and if, whatever you want the world to know about you, you can sort of just project in a way that you want them to see. It's kind of an interesting thing. We've always done this. Don't, don't, like I don't, social media didn't, didn't create this reality. It just let, let us do it much more quickly. Uh, there's a, there's a, a, a hashtag on Instagram called Instagram versus reality. And I, I want to show you a few of, of the things I found that were fun. These are fun ones. Instagram versus reality. Margaret, can we have the first one? Instagram, on the left-hand side, you've got, whoa, what a nice new sink in the flowers. Oh, I wish my house looked like that. When really, this is, can you see it? This is what the kitchen really actually looked like. They're in the middle of a reno, and there's like one clean spot in the whole kitchen. I've actually been there. You guys been there? You've been there before? Okay, show me the next one. Here we are on the left-hand side have a really cute living room all put together. Oh, wow. They probably just were like, oh, wow, what a mess. And really, in reality, this is what, on the right, your living room probably looks like, especially if you have kids living in your house. Oh, it looked like there was a fort that was maybe happening. That was fun. Do the next one. This one's probably my favorite. <laughs> this is like... Oh, just look at me, just relaxing in the living room on my white carpet with my baby and my dog. And in reality, on the right-hand side, much, much more accurate. Okay, give me one more, Margaret. Here we have the beautiful, the beautiful baby photo, when in reality, it was like the one moment that you could snap on Instagram before the baby starts screaming and be like, why, why are we doing this? Why, why? May your life ever be as good as your Instagram feed shows it to be. And listen, you know, I joke about social media, like we talk about it quite a bit. It's such a big part of our life and culture, I know. I'm not poo-pooing it, as one of my professors in college used to say a lot. Um, I use it, social media can be cool when it wants to be uh, and when you treat it like it should be. Uh, and the concept of being able to craft a message about who we want to project out into the world is nothing new. Uh, it's, it's not new by any stretch of the imagination. So I think it's important to keep in front of us the reality that we will always find a way, whether it's Instagram or something else in the future, we will always find a way to craft the stories we want to tell about ourselves. And more than that, those stories will always be trying to fit into a narrative that the culture has about who we should be, what's acceptable, and, and, and all of those things. That's just reality. And so we, out of this, though, we end up with sort of a backlash that ends up being exactly what it's not trying to be. We come up with words like authentic and transparent and vulnerable. And those words have all sort of lost their meaning because uh, the idea of them 
in themselves, to be authentic. Uh, I heard recently on a podcast, somebody was like, as soon as you say, I'm really trying to be authentic, you've already stopped being authentic. Like that's just as soon as you're trying to be that, you're already not that. The idea uh, of like authentic and transparency and vulnerability, they become in themselves something to strive for as sort of a, a countermeasure. And so even then we're carefully trying to craft a message that we put out into the world around us. And so all of this, it can leave us feeling so empty, so unfulfilled, so insecure, and so tired. And it's no wonder we feel anxious. There's just, there's just, it's just no wonder. How can we be the person that we're supposed to be, or we think that we're supposed to be? How are we supposed to reconcile that every single day? And in the middle of all of this pressure from every side to, to be a certain way or look a certain way or or what you think that thing that should be, or somebody else is putting that pressure on you, or whatever it is, however you're perceiving that. In the middle of all of this, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. John 14, 27. Peace I leave to you. I don't give it to you as the world gives. Don't be troubled and don't be afraid. I, I just want to pause right here, even though that was like, that's one of my favorite verses and just ask Brad, there's a massive ringing. Can you hear it? Okay. I, lo I love preaching through a ringing. So just let you, you're working on it. Okay, thank you. I know it's not on the live stream, so it's just for me. Sorry, off campus. I know it doesn't bother you at all, but I just, you know, I just want to, we're just working on it here. Uh, the truth is that Jesus gives peace in a filtered world, in your world, in the world. Jesus is able to give us peace in a filtered world. Because the truth is this, the truth is that the gospel is the third option. If you've heard me preach before, I love using this idea because I keep seeing it in scripture over and over again that Jesus always gives a third option. I, I love this about him. Um, and the gospel is no exception. That um, The truth is that the gospel is the third option. Would this help you, Brad, if I fix my microphone? <laughs> uh, option one is this. Be who you think you're expected to be in the world. That's your first option. You can just try to make your life look like you think it's supposed to look to the world around you. That's your option. And, and lots of us choose this option. Option two is this. Um, work to be your most authentic self in the world. So who are you really? And try to really be that and ignore the cultural narrative and really live out your own truth. That's what we would be told would be the second option. So the first option, be who you, you, know, you think people expect you to be. The second option, um, work to live as your authentic self in the world. But Jesus gives us a third option. The gospel is the third option and is this. Die to yourself and find peace. The Apostle Paul understood this tension. He had been in the city of Corinth, and he had helped to establish a church there, along with Silas and Timothy and Aquila and Priscilla. And then um, 
we don't exactly know when, but he did start to receive reports. That becomes clear in some of his letters. He started to receive reports about them, about the church in Corinth. Um, we, we would call it Corinthians. Uh, the, in the Corinthians, he started hearing things about them, what was going on at the church after he had left. And so he wrote his first letter back to them. We call it 1 Corinthians. And he wants to address many things. So you read through this very long letter that he wrote to them, and he's addressing many of the things. Clearly, he had been hearing reports and, and wanting to now like say to them, okay, guys, I'm hearing about this. This is how you deal with it. You read through that a lot in 1 Corinthians. And one of the issues that the church was divided over was what leader they should follow. We read in 1 Corinthians 3, it's, uh, Paul is writing this. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you, are you not mere human beings? What, what, after all, is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has is been making it grow. Verse 21, so then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, who is Peter, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. In other words, he's saying, it's the wrong allegiance, people. You're not understanding. It should be Jesus only. It doesn't matter who your favorite leader is or your favorite speaker is or the, the person that you liked best when they came to visit your church. It does, all of that is, is so, so unnecessary. It's Jesus. It's the wrong allegiance, unless it's Jesus. And so in addition to that, that was going on. We know we read about that here in, in 1 Corinthians. Um, in addition to that, something else was happening that maybe was starting to poke at where there might be insecurity in, in Paul, and he's going to respond to it. Because, again, we don't know exactly when this started to happen, but he, he had been receiving reports, and you do read through this in the letters, different places, saying that he was not all that impressive. There was this kind of thing going around like, oh, Paul talks a big game, but when he comes to us, he's really pretty unimpressive. His speaking amounts to nothing. Galatians chapter 4 tells us that he was ill in some way, um, in, in, uh, there was one second century writing that was uh, describing Paul, and it, it is said that he was a man of small stature, I just I want you to picture this, go ahead, with a bald head and crooked legs, in a good state of body, uh, good, uh, with eyebrows meeting, and a nose somewhat hooked. So word was getting out that while Paul was a big name, like everybody knew who Paul was, when they met him, he, it turns out he wasn't very cool or very charismatic, essentially. And he, he wasn't like the good-looking, charming guy coming and, and really, he, they were just, he was unimpressive, I guess, to look at when he came. And he had also just come, Paul had just come from Athens. We read about that in Acts chapter 17, and things didn't go super well for him there. And so in all of this that's going on, where there's some fighting in the church about which leader people want to follow, which one they're loyal to. There's this thing people are saying, oh yeah, Paul, he's like, he's not much to look at. He's not much to listen to and all of that kind of stuff. And he had just come from Athens where things had not gone super well. And it is in this context that we're going to uh, look at this piece of scripture. Uh, Pastor Dell talked about it on Good Friday as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Turn there with me. says this, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5. 
And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. One commentator said it like this, it would almost seem that Paul had said to himself, never again, from now on I will tell the story of Jesus in utter simplicity, I will never again try to wrap it up in human categories. I will know nothing but Jesus Christ and him upon the cross. In other words, I will not try to be who they all expect me to be. I will not try to be the best version of myself. I'm going to die to myself and tell the good news about Christ and leave it up to him to authenticate whether I'm legitimate or not. And I'll tell you something, friends. It was as hard for Paul to say that in the first century as it is for us today in our filtered Instagram world. Because for him, it was, I mean, it was a different, it was a different culture, it was a different time, but the issues are human issues. They, they translate throughout, through, through, uh, throughout all of the years between us. Culturally, Paul had every reason to try to be interesting and, and complex and cool. The cities of Greece love what they called sophistry, which was arguing philosophy in a way that was persuasive and charismatic. And the fact that the speaker like part of sophistry was that they were using this persuasive and, and charismatic language to be deceptive in what they were saying was secondary. People didn't care about that as long as the speaker would, could capture their attention and was interesting to listen to. They loved a powerful delivery. They loved somebody interesting to listen to. They loved, they loved all of that. It was such a big part of their culture. And in fact, the Greek word... Um, is related, sophistry is related to the word that we, we say as sophisticate. To sophisticate something is to make it complicated or make it complex, to deprive it actually of its genuineness and authenticity. That's what it means to sophisticate something, to be sophisticated. And so Paul had every pressure from the culture to make sure that his delivery was impressive and to make sure that he had, could capture the attention of his listeners so that he could, you know, maybe make a dent. And, and for the best possible reasons in, in his case, to make a dent with the message of Christ. But he chose to make it so that all he would do is preach Christ and him crucified and leave the rest up to God. Paul reminds the Corinthians that he came with simplicity he came with trembling fear, or uh, you know, he wasn't afraid. That's not what that means. It means that he came with like that respect and awe before the message that he was bringing. And because he came like that, he also came with results. He came with something that was authentically life transformational. It wasn't just words. He didn't come and gather an audience by trying to be awesome. He came and he brought attention to what Jesus did on the cross, and God made it incredible. And his simple and unpretentious message did something that no crafting and no filtering could ever do. It allowed for the results of his ministry to be convincingly the power of God and nothing else. 
And why did he do that? He says it right there in verse 5, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Because here's the thing, human wisdom, he knew this, human wisdom changes uh, from season to season, from generation to generation. Uh, we learn things, we apply new lessons, we change our minds. That's part of the human experience. It's not a solid thing. Human wisdom is never a solid thing. It's kind of like our best guess or our best advice at the time. Paul didn't want that for them. He wanted them to have their, their faith rest on God not on just what was popular at the time or seemed to make sense to the culture at the time. And so Paul used his own life, his own, own experience uh, to remind us here today, 2,000 years, 2,000 plus years later, that 2,000 years? Yeah, maybe, we'll, we'll go with 2,000 years later, that the ministry of our lives should literally be the opposite of having people think that we know things and be impressed by us in some way. That's never what it's supposed to be about. Leon Morris said, a faith that depends on clever reasoning may be demolished by a more accurate argument, but a faith, but the faith which is produced by the power of God can never be overthrown. So Paul chose to die to himself, to his culture, to the expectations that he had probably for himself. I can only imagine, like, this guy was a keener. He had studied, he knew the world, he was so zealous for what he wanted um, for his life. Um, he was always passionate. And I'm sure he had a picture of what that was going to look like for Christ. And I'm, I'm sure that he also, he, you know, he talks a lot about, he was, he's the worst of sinners. Like he knew the background that he came from. He knew he had persecuted the church. He knew that he came from one group of people very zealously and went to another and realized the truth. And he had to prove himself in some way. I'm sure he had all of these scripts and narratives running in his mind. But he chose instead to just lay it aside, die to himself, and bring the good news about Jesus in the simplest way that he knew how, just Christ and him crucified. Crooked legs, hooked nose, bald head, short stature, illness, thorn in the side, unibrow, and all. That's not in scripture, remember. That was just his history <laughs> wrote that down, that he had a unibrow, but still. He just decided to die to all of that, be who he was, and allow Christ to use him to preach about him and him crucified. And the really amazing thing about this is that it had the support of the Holy Spirit's transforming power. And so I wanted to say to you this morning that if you are looking for peace in your life, especially peace in a filtered world, you know what I mean. It doesn't come from working to be your most authentic self in the world. I'm stuck. <laughs> Guys, I'm stuck. I'm okay now. You guys, I wore my bracelet. I wore my bracelet with my kids' names on it today. It felt like, and I wore my Ethiopian dress because I just was like having a Mother's Day moment and I just got stuck to it. But I love you guys anyway. I love you. Um, next time somebody sees me wearing like a fancy thing, could you just be like, Tracy, that's maybe not your best move today. Guys, I just want to be my authentic self in front of you today. <laughs> okay, back to, back to what we were talking about. I'm okay now, everything's, everything's fine. Um, I want to remind you this morning that the peace that you are looking for in your life does not come from you trying to be your most authentic self. And I mean, obviously that, that's not a, a terrible option because you don't wanna be in conflict. Uh, you don't wanna try to be something that you're not. 
You don't want to try to live up to somebody else's impossible expectation that they have for you or some impossible standard you set for yourself. I, that's all true. But scripture doesn't say just do your best now. It says die to yourself. Set aside the narrative completely, the one that, uh, the one that you have in your mind, and embrace the one that Jesus is writing for you, the one that he's writing in you, the one that he wants to live out through you. That's the place you're going to find peace because all the rest of it is narrative. But Jesus knows who you really are, and he knows what he wants to do through your life, and that will always be the most powerful thing. So you don't have to worry about what does it mean to be authentic in this relationship. Surrender to Christ, and he will give you the freedom to be exactly who he's created you to be while he transforms you daily. While he transforms you daily, that's the promise. You don't have to hide your weaknesses. You don't have to pump up your strengths. You die to yourself, and he will take care of the results as you trust him every day. Right before Paul writes this, this piece that we read from 1 Corinthians 2, he writes this to the church in, in, in the first chapter, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 30, and he says this. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were noble of birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us Wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Isn't that amazing? Jesus has become for us the wisdom of God. We don't have to listen to any other narrative, any other story, uh, anything that the world would offer to us, but Jesus himself has become for us the wisdom of God. In other words, we can trust him with all of these things. He's become our righteousness. He's become our holiness. He's the one in whom we have redemption. And so through him, uh, we have all that we need, and so we take the third option. Not bowing to what the world tells us we should be, not trying to live up to some standard or some, some version of ourselves that we think that we should be, but in fact just surrendering all of it and saying, Jesus, I want to be who you have called me to be. I want to find my identity in you. It's not going to be found anywhere else. So my question for us this morning is, do you, do you want that in your life? Do you want to be free of those narratives? Do you, want to, do you want to stop striving in a filtered world and trying to, to figure out who you're supposed to be and, and what that narrative should be and what the world expects of you and, and all of those things? Do you want that? I know that I do in my life. And so I want to encourage you this morning to take off every filter, to lay down every narrative, to disregard what you think the world expects of you, to forget what you have told yourself that you need to be and really find peace in Christ. And so, uh, what does this look like in your life? I, I'd love to hear from you. If you have comments, but feel free to share them with one another in the live stream chat there. Um, but for me, this really is, I mean, we, it's Mother's Day. Uh, moms, women in general, I mean, people in general, right? We, we just tend to have a picture of what, what that should look like, what the narrative should look like, um, whether or not we're doing this mom thing well or this 
or what the world expects of us. That's, that's a reality for sure, isn't it, moms, today? On Mother's Day, you're thinking about that. Do, do you deserve that breakfast in bed? <laughs> you do, you do. I don't know if that happened for you this morning, but um, we have all of these narratives, and I know that for me, this journey of finding my identity in Christ, not trying to find it in, in, in some other version of, of whatever, really has begun, uh, started for me in, in the word and in prayer. And I know we talk with these things like it's the only altar call we can have, but I'm telling you, it's authentically true. To find who you are in scripture and to ask the Lord to show you what he wants for you today, how he wants you to respond, laying down all of your expectations other than that. And I'll tell you, friends, there is so much freedom in it. To go to the word every day and, and read about it and then ask the Lord to help you to apply it just little bits at a time or maybe a Bible in a year. It doesn't make any difference, but being in the word and then inviting the Lord to, to, speak, to speak to you every day. Say, God, I have a, a lot of scripts. I have a lot of narratives. I have a lot of expectations I put on myself. I feel a lot of pressure, whatever your situation is, or all of the above. But what I really want is I, I, I want to be, I want to I have the peace that you bring, not the peace that the world tries to give me. I want to I live in the kind of peace that makes me not anxious and afraid, not makes me feel like a failure all the time, but I want to live as, as the woman or man that you have called me to be. I want to model my life after you and no one else. And so um, I want to invite, I want to pray that with you and for you, but I want to invite you to know that in a filtered world, in a world with all these expectations and narratives, that Jesus sees you and he knows you and you have been fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, he loves you so much. And all of those things are not from him, but he does have something incredible for your life. So if this is for the first time, I wanna invite you to just give your life to Christ. We talk about being born again. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. Really being like literally born into a new life in Christ, setting aside all the other narratives and saying, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I receive forgiveness for my sins. I see that I'm a sinner. I need you. And I see what you did for me. Maybe you're journeying along with us that way. I want to invite you to invite him into your life, to, to, to really die to all of that other stuff and say, Jesus, I want you. And come and be in part of the family of God. You're invited. You are seen and you are loved by Jesus, exactly who you are. Oh, yeah, he's got some things he wants to do and change and move and transform in your life, of course. But he loves you right in this moment, right how you are. He died for you exactly how you are. You didn't know him. You didn't see him. You didn't care about him. That was cool. He still loves you. And he's inviting you to be uh, in a relationship with him. And for those of us who know, who know the Lord, but who still struggle with our identity, I want to invite you into the peace that Jesus gives that doesn't look anything like the world. I want to invite you to just lay that down and say, Jesus... I want, to, I want to find my identity in you. None of this other stuff is working. Nothing else brings me peace. But I do want to come to the word and come to prayer and invite you to speak to me about who you have created me to be and how I can find my identity in you, one piece by one piece by one piece at a time, day by day. So let me pray for you in that way, and I want to invite you um, into that surrender, even as I'm walking in it, uh, working to walk in it the same as you every single day. Jesus, thank you for your transforming power in our lives. Jesus, you are so good. And we recognize again today that you're the center. You are the source. 
You are the one who did everything that was required so that we could be in a relationship with you, so that we could be free, so that we could live as people of peace and not people of anxiety or of, of, of striving towards something that's never going to satisfy. We accept your gift of forgiveness that you, that you uh, made possible by your death on the cross. And we accept the new life that comes through you as uh, you've made possible through your resurrection. And we understand that um, you, are, you are Lord of all. And even if we're coming to that uh, realization for the first time, um, I thank you that you make things uh, known to us and visible to us and you, you're, you're able to help us to see who you really are. And so God, I pray for anyone who is really making that decision for the first time this morning, I pray that they would fully understand uh, who you are and we'll be able to accept you as Lord of their lives and with the forgiveness of sins and we'll be able to step into a relationship with you that would change them for eternity. And for all of us who have already made that decision, Jesus, help us to find our identity in you. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak into every lie of the enemy that tells us something that's not true about us some script or narrative that we put on ourselves or have accepted from the world around us that does not need to be a part of our lives. We, we want to just die to that. There's just really no better way to say that. We, just, we don't want to live under that. We want to live under the knowledge that we are sons and daughters of God. That we are co-heirs with Christ. That we are loved and seen. That we have a purpose that was set out for us before we were born that we were fearfully and wonderfully made, that we were seen before we were knit together in our mother's womb. And we want to have that be our guiding identity, but we have a lot, a lot of voices screaming different things at us. And so we just ask you, Holy Spirit, to help us right now to identify that. And we commit ourselves together to hearing what you want to say, who you want to, who you want, um, to transform us to be and let everything else fall away. Jesus, let our lives like Paul be a message of Christ and him crucified and nothing else. Let our lives be a display of who you are and how incredible you are. And we thank you for your presence and your spirit walking us into your peace, not like the world gives, but the way that you do it, which is so beautiful and lasting and life transforming. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen.